millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast Edinburgh TV Festival Special. I'm Boyd Hilton, Entertainment Director of Heat, Deputy Editor of Pilot TV Magazine, co-host of the Pilot TV Podcast and host of Footballistically Arsenal. On today's show, we'll be talking about the BBC's iPlayer extension, The Athletic's mission to rewrite football coverage in the UK, and the risks and rewards of making TV in a global marketplace. Plus, in the media quiz, our guests try to spot the difference between real commissions announced at this festival and pitches we made up. That's all to come in today's media podcast. So here we are, we're in Edinburgh, we're under some stairwell, and people are kind of wandering by, so you might hear noise in the background, but don't worry about that. We're knee-deep in TV talent to bring you the big stories of the festival. And joining me is CEO of Nine Lives Media, Kat Lewis. Welcome. Hi, hi, Fred. And media editor of The Guardian, no less, Jim Waterson. Hello. Who I met for the first time at Channel 4 Dinner on Tuesday, and we'd already approached you to take part in this podcast, and I strong-armed you while you were slightly... I'm saying slightly drunk to make sure you did you were going to come on and you agreed so thanks that's for that. slanderous but Sorry. also true okay just getting that out of the way Kat remind us before we begin of the kind of shows that your production company has made or has been commissioned to make what kind of stuff do you do okay so I've run my production company for 12 years wow. in the north based in Media City now um, we were the first independent to win one of the BBC um put out tender programs which was songs of praise so um that's something that that is very close to my heart and i'm particularly pleased because we've just managed to do the first same-sex marriage on songs of praise which is wonderful incredible so let's just start with the general festival highlights actually first of all how how many festivals you've been to jim so this is my second year at edinburgh which i know makes me a relative newbie and i've come into the media world from the outside i used to cover politics and it's a bit like Politics has this annual party conference thing where everyone's incredibly boring and the white wine is terrible and all the rest. Media festivals, by comparison, are wonderful. There's there's glitz. There's uh, everyone keeps their snarking slightly more measured. It's 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 much nicer. So you're saying media people are less snarky than po- po- political people. Yeah, I know you wouldn't think that's it's true revelation. if you're listening to this, but uh, in, if you're in the media industry. But you know there is actually a world beneath this. And what's your highlight? What are your highlights so far? I have basically found myself covering Channel 4 commissions for most of the first couple of days. Uh, Not least, I'm currently trying to talk about a program. I think it's got the working title, The British Tribe Next Door, in which Scarlett Moffat has 
they've moved her entire County Durham semi to Namibia and it's one of those where I go I want to have been in the meeting where that was commissioned because I just I sometimes am baffled by how TV people come up with these ideas. Yeah we ideas. saw a clip from this at the Channel 4 didn't we where they're, they're literally built, removing her house brick by brick. Are they really doing that or are they replicating I it? I hope that they <laughs> just replicated it okay. and just shipped out Fine. shipped out some pebble dash okay. to Namibia. And what about sessions? Like, have you been to you know any sessions that have stood out for you? Because this is all about it's got, the TV festival is weird, isn't it? Because it's called a festival, but it's really a conference, isn't it? It's like people are discussing events and discussing topics. What, what's been your highlight for that, from that, as far as that's concerned? Uh, well, aside from everyone agreeing very strongly with a load of white men on stage that they care very much about diversity and that that's the number one priority for the industry, I, I've been particularly intrigued by seeing. I mean, Louis III was very entertaining. Yeah. And also everyone being just quite frank about the fact that younger audiences just aren't watching telly. Like, rather than sort of trying to pretend that they're all going to, at some point, mysteriously tune in, everyone said, well, we just need to think about things in a different way. We need to measure things differently. Actually, it's all about streaming anyway. Um, yes, I so know So that's what you mean. been a big shift. Yeah, you're right, yeah. And Kat, how many, first of all, how many festivals have you been to? Are you a veteran? My, my first one was 21 years ago. Oh, that's pretty yeah. good going. Wow. <laughs> the key, I think, to a great Edinburgh is to have the person on who's kind of everybody's talking about at the time. So, you know, obviously the Killing Eve masterclass, yep. you know, is going to be amazing. You know, it's the telly that we all watch, but the danger, as you say, is that what are the young people watching or what are they not watching? And I think that's been somewhat forgotten because in the old days, all the commissioners were in their 20s. And the advertisers used to pay 10 times more for every viewer between the age of 18 and 34. And that's just gone out of the window now. We're all old, we've all grown old with telly, we're all giving each other jobs, you know. And it's very sad, really, because yeah. they need to go back to that. And this is why the, the young people aren't watching. That's interesting, because did you go to Ben Froh's session, the, the, the control of Channel 5 at all? Because he was talking about how they've kind of given up trying to ensnare young people. And they're just going for older people, basically. And they're kind of happy with that, you know, because older people still still spend money on stuff that gets advertised so you know advertisers and well to be honest I've made all my choices Boyd in life you know I even kind <laughs> yeah. of have an ongoing shopping list which is everything that I buy every different product I'm not very easy to convince to buy a product because I'm 54 right. okay. you know yeah. I'm kind of you know not and, and every advertiser knows this so this is the problem if we don't change the way we think then we'll end up with a dying audience so with Songs of Praise we basically have reduced the audience when we inherited it. It was, um, I'm not going to say exactly because it's probably all confidential, but anyway, we've reduced the audience in two years right. um, by seven years, the average age. Because if you don't tackle that problem of audiences getting older, then you will end up with a dying medium. Let's talk about some specific stories that have happened or happening in the media right now since we last kind of did a media podcast, effectively, and we'll talk more about the festival itself later on. Let's start with the iPlayer extension because this is something that's happening at the moment that the BBC are talking about it here at the festival it's become a big story um, some of the papers are reporting at that so it's great for the public so basically um, the, we get to see stuff on iPlayer for a year now that's the big change isn't it yeah. um, Jim what do you think is the argument for this is it mainly that it's good for the public it's good for us well the argument is that at the moment iPlayer is one of the most frustrating <laughs> products around like st you know stop thinking about the industry side of things just think as a consumer the amount of times I after about three or four weeks go oh yeah there was that documentary I really wanted to watch and you go on and you find it's got episodes three to five available it's completely useless when you're used to almost any other format um, so as a consumer, it's brilliant. 
if you're Channel 4 or anyone else with a catch-up service, you're wondering why the BBC's allowed it. And I'd be very interested to know what the independent producers, uh, yes. which we have, feel of. Let's feel find out, Kat. What is it like from your end? Because if you're making shows, so there is this controversy. That, is it right, as I understand, the BBC wants to have the right, to, they're getting the right from Ofcom to show, have stuff on iPlayer, box sets, etc., for a whole year, but they don't want to pay the people who make them any more money for that? Is that, am I, is that fair? So for a small independent producer like myself, Nine Lives, been going 12 years, I'm 100% owner, there are no secondary sales in the UK. There haven't been any secondary sales for a very long time. I make a lot of programmes, as a lot of northern producers do, for the wonderful Ben Frau. And Channel 5 kind of rolled in kind of secondary sales a very long time ago. So as far as I'm concerned, at this juncture, with such huge change in television, what we need to do is not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We all have to take the long view and we all have to think how do we make sure that we secure public service television, which is the reason why we are the best producers in the world and the reason why our programmes sell internationally. So my view is that Ofcom and the BBC have been absolutely right in terms of allowing this 12 months. To be honest, I personally would allow them to have five years, as they will do with children's programmes. My team make the most wonderful children's documentaries that win awards internationally. We mm. just won the Rocky Award in the Banff Festival, competing against every other country. That film should be available for children in the UK to watch, and I would give it to the BBC to do so. There are no international sales for those films, those children's programmes. If we don't get together now as an industry and take the long view of how we protect our public service broadcasters, then we're at risk of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And the problem is that the super indies don't really give a shit. Don't, why don't they give a shit? They don't give a shit because all they're motivated by is money and they're often owned by foreign companies. Mm. You know, I'm talking with a long-term view as an authentic, indigenous producer. I've always, you know, been an exec producer outside London and this is what we should do. We should support the BBC. Right, interesting. I mean, and just ordinary punters, I just don't think, understand why, if they're paying no. for a subscription philosophy, they just don't get why they can't get the stuff when they want it. Yeah. So there are terms and conditions, aren't there? Like the BBC must revive, revise iPlayer performance measurement framework, <laughs> closely track availability and consumption of programmes. Seems fair, I guess. It, it does seem fair. There's one line in one of these very, very heavy Ofcom reports I, ca I came across as I was reading it through, which was basically the BBC's argument for doing this is that we're down to about sort of 10, 15% market share and we need this just to maintain that. That's sort of the role that they're going to end up with. They are not thinking that they're going to in any way challenge Netflix with this. And that is both sort of a reason to wave it through and also slightly terrifying at the same time. Yeah, but it's realistic, isn't it, I guess? Absolutely. They're the biggest investor in the creative industries. You know, it's incredibly important that we enable them to do what they need to do as a broadcaster. I personally disagree equally with what the current curator of Channel 4 Alex, you know, has decided to do in terms of giving 100% of the revenue to producers. She only talked to PACT. PACT don't represent the whole industry. I run the Indie Club. We have members that are running smaller indies outside London. She should have come to talk to us as well, which is what the BBC did. It's what Ofcom did. She should have talked to Directors UK. They would have a very good opinion as well. I'm not sure what it is. But my opinion is that Alex was over generous to give 100% of the back end revenue. Exactly what is your issue with Channel 4 um, and the way that Alex Mann is now changing the way they're, they're kind of 
uh, taking a cut or not out of shows that they're going to commission? Well, the terms of trade at the moment work brilliantly in our favour in this country, and we're incredibly lucky. If you're an American producer, and I know plenty of American producers, the broadcasters pay 100%, um, and they expect to own 100%. And as far as they're concerned, why on earth wouldn't they? You know, so what that means is, as a producer in America, you're just a producer for hire. You can never grow your company. Like The only reason I've been able to build my company over 12 years is because of international sales revenue, because I own the programs that I make. Yeah. So basically... The danger with what Alex has done is that the other PSBs feel obliged to do the same. I'm sure they won't because they just couldn't afford it. But, you know, if they do, then what that means is that the PSBs long term will be really threatened. We have this fantastic balance at the moment where we work with the broadcasters, with their commissioners. We create formats, but hey, we get 85% of the revenue, but we give them 15% of the revenue to help cover the costs of those commissioners, etc., to ensure that they've got skin in the game, to have a situation in the UK where it's absolutely the reverse of the situation in America, to me just seems crazy. And I think long term it could threaten the PSB system in this country. Let's move on to um, the complete contrast, the athletic Mm. gym. Now, this is an extraordinary situation where um, this American sport website is launched its British arm, launched at the beginning of August. What's your feeling about this? Because they basically um, seem to have kind of gathered all the, not all, but some of the best football writers out there, 57 of them, and started this extraordinary situation where we now have to pay. Well, if you want, you can sign up and pay. I think you get 30 days free. But what's your feeling about the whole athletic drive to nab the football writers? It's essentially we're going to build a dream team of, of writers in theory covering the covering the clubs that you care about. I'm a York City fan in the sixth division. It doesn't really do a lot for me as a result. Um, but you end up with everyone, uh, in theory, having to subscribe to read the best quality sports writing in the country. Okay. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think sports fans are obsessive in a way that most other readers aren't and there are certain people that they will follow and a lot of these people have been recruited because they've got big Twitter followings as much as because of their fantastic writing ability. Um, What I'm intrigued by is to see whether they get the sort of beyond the initial burst of interest really get the numbers they need they're certainly pouring a lot of money into it my targeted ads on Facebook are just full of things imploring me to sign up at the moment but if they're paying the salaries that people are talking about people who are getting sort of 30% pay rises to jump ship and join them plus shares in the business plus they're not running any adverts they got to get quite a lot of people to make it work and having worked at a venture capital backed news startup (laughs) which splashed a bit of cash back in the day Mm. It can go wrong. You can expand like mad and then find yourself with a very high cost base. You're talking about BuzzFeed, just to make it clear. Indeed, yeah. I think it's just an example of how kind of, you know, content is king. It's a shame when when stuff goes behind barriers, because as Charlotte Moore was saying in her session, which was brilliant, um, it's all about kind of, you know, bringing the British public together. So she's bringing story and character to every different genre in a way that she told us she would do, you know, four or five years ago and was doing to an extent, but now every year it just gets better and better. So this year, for example, in terms of natural history, the Seven Worlds, One Planet series is clearly going to be brilliant from the clip that we were shown at the BBC One um, whatever it's called controller Controller session session, it looks absolutely fantastic it's all about that and so she's also bought story and character Mm. 
to football, to yeah, women's football. Yeah. And how fantastic is that? Mm. I tried to set up a football club, yeah, when I was at school. I just wanted to play football. Mm. I wasn't allowed. Yeah. I was told it was actually physically dangerous for girls to play football. And isn't it wonderful that now we're supporting these brilliant women who are playing football for us all over the world? Absolutely. I mean, I'm giving most credit to the, to the women footballers rather than Charlotte Moore personally. That's what I'm just saying. <laughs> but it's a good point about the storytelling because actually one of the things that The Athletic does, so I've signed up for the free 30-day trial thing. I have as well. As a, yeah. I've not really been reading it. Right, so I've read a couple of things. And isn't, if I'm an Oscar fan, so it caters more for me, I think, probably, than a York <laughs> fan. I don't know. So, you know, and I, I do an Oscar podcast. And, it, and there's in-depth, long, narratively-driven storytelling articles. It's all about deep-dive storytelling. Actually, it is quite an appealing model. So that's all I'd say. Well, that's good, but yeah. what I'm telling you is that actually we were told as programme makers for many decades that no man wanted to watch women's football. Oh, yeah. And that's I mean, that why the storytelling yeah. is of so course, important. Oh, and the character, Absolutely. because it does make people yeah, care. It makes people totally. engage. Now, you mentioned the Daily Mail and you mentioned Channel 4, and intriguingly, those two elements have come together, haven't they, in this new commission we've heard about called The World According to Dacre. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. It's a three-parter that they've commissioned, although I still can't get my head around TV and the time it takes to get a documentary out. It's going to air in 2021. Yes. I want to, I want to watch this tomorrow. Can't we just sort of get a camera in and do a live stream of this? Because I just want to see Dacre uh, uh, sharing his thoughts on various things. Uh, this is a man who, having had so much power for a quarter of a decade, for, for, for some good and perhaps a lot more ill, uh, has managed to basically avoid most scrutiny. He's given about three or four interviews and written about three or four articles in the last sort of 20 odd years. And so to actually get to vaguely understand a man who shaped modern Britain in many ways... I'm really looking forward to it. It's extraordinary. What do you think about the idea of, of Channel 4 giving Paul Dacre this kind of opportunity? He's fronting this show, as far as I can make out. So what do you think about that whole idea? I personally would have commissioned an hour called The Story of the Daily Mail. You know, nobody knows who Paul is outside media circles. They really don't, you know. Nobody gives a shit, you know. They really don't. It won't get viewers, I'm afraid. It should be a one-time 60. What we've all been doing for the last 20 years in television is been making unfolding narrative stories. What's his unfolding narrative? Is he going to take us to the allotment? Is he going to take us to his place in Spain? You know. I hope so. So basically what you're saying is it, it'll appeal to me and a load of other self-indulgent media people. Absolutely, people like yeah. Ian Katz. I mean, I love Ian. You know, I love what he's hey. doing, but I'm sorry. We don't give a shit. People inside the media bubble deserve to get their chance to see shows we like as well. We're people too. Yeah, we're people too. Metropolitan media elite deserve our own shows, but I hear what you're saying. That's it for part one. We'll be back to dissect Dorothy Burns McTaggart after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to part two. Before we get to the McTaggart, I wanted to mention how the theme of the festival this year, so we're told, is what is TV for? I mean, just in passing, Jim, what do you think TV's for? What people here think TV is often seems to be a sort of very high concept saying something about the state of the nation. And there's definitely that. There's another bit of TV which I think is slightly underanalyzed at the moment, which is that sort of pervasive background, the sort of people watching Netflix series on an endless loop just to sort of have something comforting by them. Um, And you've got the sort of two things. You've got the special commission that goes out on BBC One that deals with some big issue or the new drama. And then you've also got the sort of wallpaper content, which is for a lot of people what TV is now. Yeah, like the biggest show, of course, on, on Netflix is Friends. Kat, what is TV for? TV is, in the old Rethian phrase, to educate, to entertain, to inform. But, I've got an addition, oh, yeah. it's also to change the world. Oh, I like and that. it's not easy to change the world, as Dorothy was saying. What it takes is commitment. As for the big centrepiece speech, Channel 4's Head of News and Current Affairs, Dorothy Byrne, was chosen to give the McTaggart Lecture, the keynote address at this year's festival. Byrne is only the sixth woman to give the McTaggart Lecture in the festival's history and brought humour, candour and a dead fish to the Edinburgh International Conference Centre. Here's one of the highlights of her speech. That first day at Granada, a female boss had also told me that a director would take me out to teach me the basics of filming and he would sexually assault me, but I wasn't to take it personally because he sexually assaulted all women he worked with. Sure enough, he did assault me, one of the few examples in my career of the promise of a boss coming true. (laughs) His assault was a criminal offence. But who could I complain to? I learned early on that as a woman, I was on my own. So, Kat, you probably weren't surprised about Dorothy Byrne's own Me Too moment. What did it teach us about the state of the industry then and now? I thought it was a brilliant, a brilliant McTaggart. And to be honest, I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, Dorothy, don't we all know what she's going to say? People like me who've worked (laughs) alongside her for 30 years. But actually, she said exactly what needed to be said, and I was so incredibly proud of her. She was absolutely right that we need to find a way of holding these politicians to task. There used to be a respect for television and and for for interviews and for communicating with the public, which has disappeared because, quite frankly, they would all rather do what the ludicrous Trump is doing, currently calling himself God on Twitter. They would all rather call themselves God and speak to us directly as opposed to going through the forensic nature of journalism and so but what I thought was particularly brilliant was the way that she interjected humour throughout you know and the way that she took us to that point where she landed you know her key arguments I thought it was brilliant it was really funny wasn't it Jim she also one of the part of it being really funny she took on right at the beginning she took on some previous big beasts 
previous McTaggart lectures like James and Rupert Murdoch, Kevin yeah. Spacey. What do you think of that bit? That well, she also said that one of the uh, the previous McTaggart lectures was uh, was delivered by sex pests who's not had their comeuppance yet, which our lawyers at The Guardian <laughs> certainly had kittens when trying to work out whether you could identify us of 40-odd people which one it was. But what's uh, what, what intrigued me actually was to sort of slightly nuance and not quite pour a bit of cold water on, but the idea that politicians are being irrational in dodging these TV scrutiny events, that they are trying to avoid the interviews. You've got to start going, well, why wouldn't they? If Boris Johnson can do a Facebook live feed, and if he knows the evening news is going to use the pictures regardless, and he knows he'll have editorial control, all of us harumphing away, all of us saying, well, that's just really not how you should do it. If he can get away with that, why stress, you know, in terms of a strategy in Downing Street, why would you not do that? And I hate that that is a point. I don't like it. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's ethical. But you've got to start thinking, well, okay, how do you box them into having to do these one-on-ones? If TV audiences are getting older, if the TV news audience is getting particularly older, how do you say you've got to do this because it's the only way you can reach the nation? I think what you do is you give the platform to somebody like Jess Phillips. You know, and if Jess Phillips was standing against Boris Johnson and Jess Phillips, who did a wonderful session here at Edinburgh, which I have to confess I did produce, so I got to know her rather, and she's a genius. You know, if she was going around the country, talking in every local radio station, speaking, you know, at local newsrooms, you know, speaking on the BBC News, taking people on in the way she can, because she is brilliant, then that would force whoever was standing against her to actually up their game and come in. So you're absolutely right. I totally agree with you. We can't force anybody to do anything. Of course we can't. What we can do is encourage candidates who are brilliant mm. to use our medium in the way that it has a, historically worked that's for a, a very long of term. Of course it is. Aim, I mean, we're it? run by bloody right. Gibbons. At the moment, so right now, with you know, I think I think it's a good point that Jim makes. Why would Dominic Cummings, looking after Boris Johnson, go? Oh yeah, having seen what Andrew Neil did to the, yeah, he to won't. the cam- it won't happen. It will only happen when somebody brilliant stands against okay. him. Interesting. She also made the point that you know politicians are lying constantly. That that, that Trump's done ten hammers, tens of thousands of lies. Should every bulletin start with something like the Prime Minister lied again today? I mean, is that feasible? Is that really ever going to happen? It's completely infeasible. You can't do that. It's a compl- everything is broken. We're in a complete information dystopia, and I don't see any way out. We're sort of talking in such God. narrow terms. We're talking as if everything can be solved through the formats that we've had before, in an, which were in an era where not everything was immediately challenged. When candidates couldn't immediately accuse a news outlet of inherent bias the moment that anything was put up that they disagreed with, there's only one direction that this is going, and it ain't going to be pretty. I know that's not exactly an optimistic case, but, uh, you know, and at the same time, in, in Dorothy's speech, she's, you know, she's mocking Dominic Cummings, the number 10 uh, strategy guy, in, in talking about his EU subsidies for his farm. Well, he's not exactly going to be massively amenable to doing anything with Channel 4 in the near future. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but we're setting ourselves up for a US on a sort of time delay system of the politicians versus the media. And I don't see how we avoid that confrontation She compared it to... to, to, to the Russian situation, isn't she? That, you know, it's kind of going to be people doing their own hours-long press conferences. And I and think that's really important. I mean, when I was young, we used to say, at least in Russia, they know there is censorship. And I think it's incredibly important that we speak truth to power. If we, as journalists and producers, 
don't speak truth to power, who will? And it's absolutely right to say that if we know that something's factually inaccurate, even if it's the next day, we say, actually, you know, what was reported, we checked it out. That's what we're paid to do. We spent all day checking it out, not filing a million reports in a journalism kind of way. We actually checked it out properly. It wasn't true. And now we're telling you that wasn't true. And she's absolutely right to say what she said. If now, we don't do it, who will? Now, I completely believe in that. And I do like that a lot myself. But to be the gloom monger on this podcast, every time I've ever done fact checks, they've been held up triumphantly by the side that is vindicated and dismissed as irrelevant by the side that already believed the original point. Uh, the only thing that I can think that will really break through and that, that, that TV news should be doing a lot more of is trying somehow, somehow to box people into a corner to the point where they feel they need to come on and do a long format. If you did have, and look at some of the podcasts and some of the YouTube interviews that do well, I don't like it, but things like Joe Rogan, for better or worse, he can get millions of viewers for sort of weird, sprawling, unstructured, not massively critical, actually, interviews. And people seem to tune in for that. I'm not saying I really want that format, but that mm. is something that seems to get in new audiences. Um, finally, today we're going to play a little game called Red Light, Green Light. There are always a slew <laughs> of big commissioning announcements at the TV festival. I'm going to run through some of the interesting announcements, but among the genuine commissions might be some fakes we've made up. So, can you spot the imposters in Red Light, Green Light? I'll read you the pitch for a new show. You just have to say your name. And if you think it's a green light for a real show or red light for fake. So number one, an epic science show for Amazon involving Richard Hammond and Tori Bellici showing a serious lack of regard for health and safety. Jim, I think, I think that's probably happening. Yes, correct. It's the actually untitled show was announced by Amazon <laughs> boss Georgia Brown in her controller session and she says it will be epic. Number two, a Sky Atlantic drama about an ageing starlet whose life is disrupted when a photo of her in a compromising position is leaked. I don't think anybody cares about ageing starlets. I think that's uh, not a commission. No, it is. Green light is I Hate Susie will be reunited Billy Piper with Secret Diary of a Cool Girl creator Lucy Preble and Billy Piper will star in the show. I'm quite excited about the whole thing. An adaptation of a best-selling horror novel commissioned by Channel 5, this is drama, with a Doctor Who director on the production team. That seems suitably on Channel 5 that it probably is real. Is that happening? It is real. Based on Susan Hill's book, The Small Hand, a ghost story, The Small Hand will come to Channel 5 and haunting modern adaptation by writer Barbara Mackin, creator of BBC's Waking the Dead, and it will be directed by someone who directed on Doctor Who. A new interview show featuring former One Direction star Liam Payne getting deep into the wilderness. Yeah, I I'd I'd, I'd dream that. like that. Is, yeah. that. is that happening? It's happening. Amazing. Ant Middleton and Liam Payne, straight talking, set to end, end, air in November on Sky, featuring a series of frank conversations out in the countryside. And finally, a new Channel 5 show called Eaten by an Elevator When Machines Attack. Yes, that's so Channel 5. That's got to be happening. They just do big machines and trains, and that's basic. that's got to be real. I've tricked you. This is a trick question. <laughs> The answer is red light, but there is an actual Channel 5 show called Eaten by an Escalator, <laughs> which is a, has just gone out, is about to go out when, when machines attack, but not an elevator. I'm not, escalator, I'm not elevator. into escalators. I'm not, I'm, no, I'll stick Fair to the enough. elevators, thank you. That was a nasty trick by me, but maybe they'll do the elevator version after that. I'm sure they will. I love Ben's titles. Congratulations, Jim. You've I've just triumphed. got trashier tastes. 
Thank you very much. Um, thanks so much, Cat Lewis, for all your incredible insights. It's been amazing. And to Jim, thank you for taking time out of your hectic schedule because you're writing stories as we speak. You'll go to another session right now. You could have the next episode of the Media Podcast dedicated to you by taking out a voluntary subscription. Just visit themediapodcast.com slash donate and choose an amount that suits you. I'm Boyd Hilton. The producer is Rebecca Grisdale Sherry. The Media Podcast is a PPM production and we'll be back in the autumn. Until then, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.